0: Welcome to Movie Maniacs, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters
1: and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Okay, everybody, welcome to the program. This is our weekly podcast also heard on... Uh, WOWO, W-O-W-O, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This is Chuck Curry alongside my partner, Mike Rags, although Mike Rags is not here this week, so our guest uh, co-host here once again, uh, Kenny B. How are you, Ken?
0: I am great, and because I'm here, you'll also hear us on Cool 98.5 in Phoenixville, which is one one-hundredth of the power of WOWO.
1: Very good. I got a first question for you. How do you like doing the show last week?
0: I thought the show last week was great. I think we had a lot of good stuff. Uh, I, anytime we don't get into everything we want to get into because we get deeply into something like the you know, the woke nature of the world now of movies, I think that's that's a good sign. Yeah, I agree. Now, I'm going to go right into
1: uh, some breaking news today. Uh, they had the world premiere of James Cameron's Avatar 2, Way of the Water. Uh, theaters need this one. Uh, to be a good one, get a lot of people into theaters in the month of December, um, good news to announce. Reviews are really good. The Advanced buzz was pretty much outstanding. Now, I've had a divisive reaction to myself, the anticipation of this movie, simply because uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of the first Avatar movie. I did like it. I just didn't love it. I thought it was of the James Cameron bio of movies, which includes some of the great ones in the last uh, 30 years, including Terminator 1 and 2, and The Abyss, and True Lies, uh, and Titanic. Uh, those movies, to me, are great movies. Avatar was a really interesting movie, but... The initial reaction here, according to uh, the trade variety and a bunch of other outlets that uh, many called it a visual masterpiece, that it was very thought provoking and had much more of an emotional impact than the first Avatar movie, which hit theaters, which hit theaters 13 years ago. This is good news for theaters because they need people to come into the multiplexes. And that is a good thing. Actually, one uh, r- reviewer who saw the movie said uh, this is going to take uh, st- take streaming to their grave. I don't think that's going to happen. But this is a must-see movie, according to these people who uh, are raving about it on social media to see in a movie theater. So at least, Ken, that's good. Coming off a very slow weekend at the uh the box office so we need to energize people going back to the movie theater in uh the month of december so that's a good thing
0: and hopefully it won't be that we get one every 12 years that's going to be the end of streaming because we need 12 of them a year but i i think it also i think its premiere was at the Odeon in uh in london yeah uh i've been there
1: oh have you okay right. that's, uh, where
0: yeah. I, that's where I, that's where i saw casablanca
1: I did, I, did, uh, I, I, that's, that's, I did, well, how, how would I know? How would I uh, have, have, have known that? Do you have any thoughts on the original Avatar?
0: I loved the original Avatar. I thought it was groundbreaking. I thought it was fantastic. It was the first movie I, I saw it in the theater, but it was the first movie I then also saw on a, a DVD, or a Blu-ray, sorry, Blu-ray. I saw it at an IMAX theater in Reading, Pennsylvania, and if I looked at it today, it would be ho home. As I, I think I mentioned earlier, I mean, I thought we were all taken by the special effects, nothing great about the story. And yeah. so it's, it'll be interesting to see how those effects have increased in twenty in 12 years, or maybe we get a deeper story in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, James Cameron's already talking about doing up to six or seven, you know, Avatar 6 and 7. He's got the next few in pre, pre-production. pre Um I mean, I find it very interesting the way some of these people's minds work. I mean, there's no doubt this is a very gifted, talented, uh, generational filmmaker. Uh, Other than Spielberg and Scorsese, I put Cameron right there as one of the greatest filmmakers of our, of our lifetime. He hasn't made a ton of movies, but everything he's done has been uh, very good, uh, has been very popular, and uh, he's what they call a mad genius, not always easy to work with, although Kate Winslet, uh, in an interview this week, who's, who she appears in this film as a voice of one of the characters, said that he is mellowed, and um, he is, he is he's much more of a gentle soul than he was when he did Titanic back in 19... 19- 97 I hope uh, Ed Harris and Elizabeth Mar- uh, Mary Mon got that uh, that info because they had a really hard time on the set of the abyss he was really uh, a hard ass to say the least on uh, that set that was a grueling shoot having said that as a filmmaker Ken I thoroughly respect uh, James Cameron and the fact that these reviews are getting you know so glowing it, it does sort of motivate me a little bit more to want to see this on its opening uh, Weekend. Uh,
0: there, was, that, there was there uh, was no chance in the world you weren't seeing that on its yeah, opening weekend.
1: I was going to see it anyway, but uh, <laughs> here, here's
0: another You, you of could things. be in the hospital and you would go see it.
1: <laughs> Probably. Uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever was the number one grossing film for the 4th straight weekend, 17.5 million. Films now done 393 million in, in the U.S. and Canada, almost uh, $800 million worldwide. I have to say that is a successful number here's some good news because you don't see movies like this every day violent night uh david harbour is santa in a movie that's sort of a cross between die hard and home alone uh blue past expectations or tracking did thirteen and a half million dollars at the box office in its opening frame this is what they considered again a mid-range production probably p- production budget was around 25 30 million so if it has a few more good weeks uh hopefully it, it at least breaks even or makes a couple bucks at the box office they're already talking about doing a sequel which i like because i like this type of a different um what they call you know more of a chance take lower budget film playing in, in movie theaters and it's something different and something different uh is a uh good thing now here's a story that uh made uh, the, the wires this week uh, variety reported that black adam uh, the new the superhero movie over, uh, over at uh, DC with Dwayne Johnson uh, will probably lose fifty to hundred million dollars off its theatrical take. The movie's done almost four hundred million dollars worldwide, one hundred and sixty-eight million here in the states. It needed to do around six hundred million to break even. Listen, Warner Brothers. Discoveries lost so much money. Uh, over the last year was another 50 or 100 million they have a character that could be spun into multiple films in that uh, universe if they want and um, the reality is nobody knew who this character was before they uh, re- released it they kept the production budget a couple bucks under 200 million but uh, these are you know rolling the dice type movies when you're spending 200 million plus plus marketing ca- costs so um uh, I don't take much weight in that. Nobody was nobody thought this movie was going to do anywhere near a billion. And if you discount, and I said this before, and I like Dwayne Johnson. I'm certainly a fan. Uh, I think he's a pretty cool dude. And uh, I like most of his movies. I think they have a lot of entertainment value, including Black uh, Adam, which I, 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 I enjoyed. But I would say that um, if you discount uh, the Fast and the Furious franchise and Jumanji, which were more ensemble films, not him as a solo star. If you just take a solo star vehicles, this is where the box office would be expected for Dwayne Johnson uh, movie. So, I mean, it's not my money. Uh, I'm sure they're going to get it back with streaming, Blu-ray and cable down the uh, road. So that is what that is. And
0: and that's not chicken feed. I mean, it may not be recovering their costs, but that is a pretty good uh, a pretty good box office.
1: I, I think. I think it is. I mean, I, I, again, I don't think anybody thought this movie was going to do anywhere near a billion. So, sort of is what, uh, it is what uh, it is. Some other. We'll bounce into some movie news. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which, the, which hit theaters last uh, holiday season, going to get a sequel. Uh, this time, the story will take place in New York City. Paul Rudd will come back uh, to headline an ensemble. Cast It comes out, I believe, next December 2023. I got to be honest, and I said this on the show with Mike, I wasn't the biggest fan of Ghostbusters Afterlife. I know he liked it. I know most of the general public did. I was somewhat disappointed, even though they got the original... Uh, cast back in the last act I, I thought it was mostly a retread and as much as i love paul rudd i thought his character was a, uh, a carbon copy of the rick moranis character from the original and i was like you know why are you doing that just do something original having said that it's ghostbusters so i'll be there next uh christmas season for ghostbusters afterlife part two ken
0: so you finished your christmas dinner and who you gonna call
1: uh, probably Ghostbusters. You know, me and Mike have a running joke on this program where he hates the female. I told you this. He hates the female-oriented Ghostbusters movie, and I like that one. And I would take and now, the listening audience here, hear me out. I would take the female-oriented Ghostbusters movie uh, over last year's Ghostbusters Afterlife. But uh, you know, I guess I'm in the in the pure minority on. Uh,
0: yeah, to, to me to me, Ghostbusters wasn't the uh wasn't the story, it wasn't the characters. Ghostbusters was really the actors. Uh, the original <sighs> Ghostbusters was very much actor driven.
1: Yeah, I mean and the thing here's the thing. This sometimes, you know, there's a saying in film or in life, you can't go back. And you know, it, while it was cool to see the original cast back, especially you know, you, oh, when's Bill Murray? Bill Murray's about you know, twenty-five to thirty-five years, no, not twenty. Well, 20, 20 years late on coming back uh, for a Ghostbusters movie as his original character, um, it, it just it didn't do much for me to have the that cast back because I don't think the way they were used was the way I envisioned uh, that that movie uh, materializing. It's just I had something on my head; they gave me something different, and and those two entities for me did not. Uh, Mesh. Yeah, I, I don't
0: uh, like. I do not like the idea of doing a sequel twenty years later with the same people because they've they've changed too much. But
1: it can work. Oh, like, okay. Like if you took, uh, like if you took The Hustler with Paul Newman and you watched Color of Money, and there are instances where it does, it does work, and there are instances where it sort of falls a little bit flat. But like for me, you know, making a rural Ghostbusters where it takes place in the Midwest. In, instead of uh, a major city, right off the bat, I, I had issues with it. Now this one's going to take place in New York City, and, and the original firehouse from the original film is going to be a big part of the storyline. So for me, I find that uh, concept a lot more exciting. Let's touch but on. But wait, wait a second. So for ahead. your
0: for your whoa, whoa audience, you're one of those East Coast snobs who doesn't think much of the Midwest. You know, I lived in Indiana for seven yeah. years. And we can have ghosts just as well as they can have ghosts in New York.
1: In the cornfields? Yeah. Nah, I don't know about that. Okay, let's touch on uh, the <laughs> passing of Kirstie Alley at the age of 71. took a lot of people Shocking. By, uh, by, by by surprise. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, she, obviously, she gained a lot of clout and a lot of fame. In wait. So when, when she came on to the sitcom of Cheers, Shelley Long was a fixture on that show, Left, Her chemistry and banter with Ted Danson was outstanding. But Kirstie Alley more than fit that bill. Uh, And that was an example of a successful show reinventing itself with a new lead character. She did really good. She also got the Look Who's Talking franchise with John Travolta. She appeared in a movie called Summer School back in 1987, Opposite Mark Harmon, which was very popular back in the day and was a very popular VHS Rental and it did fairly well in theaters. Um, very outspoken person, obviously was known to be a Scientologist. Um, I liked her. I, I thought I thought uh, I thought she did good work, and I was bummed to hear her pass.
0: Yeah, I, I was. It was one of those things where I had the phone in front of me, and you get these little headline things, and all I could see was Kirstie Alley, and I couldn't hit on it uh, quick enough to get the story up. And I never yeah. thought it was going to tell me that she had died. But then again, she pretty much. I, I know, she just learned about her cancer, so not only yeah. did she keep it quiet, I mean she really wasn't aware of it. So it was a uh, it was a major shock.
1: Yeah, it, it was. I didn't I didn't realize you know when I say seventy one, but uh, you know I've been doing this for a long time and doing a another spot for like twenty something years uh, on a national radio show. And you know every time somebody passes that you know, and obviously we don't know these people to know them, but we know them via the television and the movie screen. But uh, I always find it a very reflective experience because I always think back of, of you know the success of Cheers. It was very popular, a great sitcom. And uh, I was a big fan of, of, of Shelley Long, but I thought she did a fantastic job uh, in not always an easy situation of a popular show, which I, back in the day, probably had 30 to 50 million people a week Watching it on uh, network television.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I heard. I mean, when we talk about being reflective and all that stuff, yeah. it was uh, almost twelve months ago that we lost Betty White. And if you remember that, I mean, I, I saw a country in mourning.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, I agree on uh, on that one. Let's do some. Um, let's do some this week in in, in movie history, and, and and let's reflect on this. Get your thoughts. December seventh, nineteen. 19- 79 this week in movie history. Star Trek, the motion picture, opened in theaters. It was two hours and 11 minutes. Uh, we shot on a budget, believe it or not, of $44 million, which was wildly over budget. That's a lot of money back then. It did gross uh, around $135 million worldwide. Uh, so it got its money back. The original cast came back. William Shatner led in Nimoy. And and the crew, here's the thing with that movie. Visually, the film looks fantastic. Directed by Robert Wise, you do West Side Story. The problem is that the story moved like a slug and not a lot happened other than, oh, those are, you know, uh, that's Kirk and Spock back on the big screen. Now, a lot of people after that film came out, especially the fan base thought that was just gonna be a one and done and there'd be no more Star Trek on the big screen. Having said that, uh, before you give your comments on that original motion picture, in 82, Nicholas Meyer had this brilliant idea when he did Star Trek II, The Ratha Khan, to look back at the TV show and say, let's find one of the coolest aspects. And he had the vision and one of the most unique uh, choices in the history of genre filmmaking is to take Ricardo Malderbaum. Who played a TV character on Star Trek? Of Khan, bring him back for a feature film on the big screen, and he hit a major home run. That movie was critically acclaimed, the fan base loved it, uh, and made a lot of money. And Star Trek back on the big screen was off to the races. Ken,
0: yeah, and a, a couple things was was the first sure. one. The first one was the one about Voyager. Uh-huh. The Voyager, you know, the Voyager satellite. That, right. yeah, um, yeah, that one was very slow, but then again, their TV shows were never uh, that deep. And that's another case where, you know, that truly was a sequel 12 years after a show which didn't really run that long had gone off TV, but we had watched all the reruns over those years, and they had never had a lot of depth to their scripts. If you go back and watch those old Star Trek shows, it's, uh, you know, the scripts are anemic, but... And I I didn't like the first one. I think everybody loves Wrath of Khan, but at the time Wrath of Khan came out, yeah. Ricardo Montalbán was a bigger star than William Shatner or Leonard Nimoy.
1: But here, okay, he, he, you're right. But here's the thing: what fascinated people when Wrath of Khan came out is looking at Ricardo Montalbán, who I think was like sixty years old, looking at the guy's body, who was in, in phenomenal muscular shape. It was like, how the heck is this guy? Looking this good, but his he, he was menacing as that character, and uh, when he was on screen, he was actually sc- he was a scary uh, he was a scary villain in that in that in that movie, and that, that gave that film a lot of juice.
0: Yeah, I think I first saw that at a drive-in theater uh, in the uh, s- South Bend area, so I, I can I can remember seeing that film.
1: Okay, and and, uh, and uh, you know, and then Star Trek obviously has still prospered. To this day, but if it wasn't for the s- success of Ratha Khan*, I don't think we'd be talking about the *Star Trek* uh, as much as we currently and still do, which I think is a really cool thing. And, and that's
0: more- one. But that is one case to just sort <laughs> of uh, go against what we said there on uh, *Ghostbusters*. That's one case where they redid the entire cast, and they continue to be able to do it because we've now used to the new people being Kirk. And, yeah. and I, I, I got to tell also
1: you. Cool, what's also cool about the J.G. Abrams movies and that cast is fantastic. Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto is Kirk and, and, and Spock. But the fact that they brought the old Spock back, <laughs> Lenny Nimoy, I thought it was such a cool touch. And it was so really so well, uh, so well done. Well, if you I,
0: remember, I, I think, I, it, I think it was the first one. They even had yeah. a cameo by Bones who was walking down the hall uh, in uh, in Starfleet, so uh, yeah, they so they yeah they they paid homage to the original, and uh, they've been able to replace the cast. And I I always, I enjoy that far more. I was never into Captain Picard because it was a well, totally different thing, story. I,
1: I always thought the biggest mistake in the Star Trek mm-hmm. lore was killing off Captain Kirk in the uh, in, in the in the uh, generations one of those generations movies with Patrick uh, with, with 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 Picard Patrick Stewart cuz his death scene Kirk's death scene in that movie didn't have the emotional impact that it needed it, that had to be if you're going to kill Kirk in a Star Trek movie it has to have a massive emotional impact and it just it didn't it did not it did not have that and 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 they never were able or wanted to bring him back in in another in another uh in another film so i mean it is what it is Here's it's, it's, it's
0: amazing it's amazing it because yeah. i did i did a live countdown and uh yeah. did the you know coverage of the when kirk when uh uh william shatner went into space so yeah killing his character off when shatner's gone from that guy that i think we would have liked to see killed uh to now he's become a, a, a bit of a cult hero
1: uh, no, listen, no, no, he's a pop culture icon. That's what he and, and is, a
0: gr- and a great singer. I love playing his music.
1: Well, I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but, but I'll, uh,
0: I'll,
1: uh, I'll ignore that one. Uh, this week in uh, in movie history is an interesting one. This week in movie history, December eighth, uh, nineteen. was it? Seventy? I think it's seventy seven. Uh, Deer Hunter. Uh, opened in theaters, one of the great Vietnam War movies of all time, directed by Michael Cimino, Robert De Niro, Chris Walken got his uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination. That Russian roulette scene is iconic. I remember so many people in my neighborhood uh, used to watch this movie repeatedly and and always talk about that uh, scene. And one interesting footnote to movie history, John Cazale, was in this movie and uh he he made a handful of films in seven years and he wound up dying of cancer and five of the movies he did were all nominated for uh
0: best picture he's the guy who played fredo in godfather amp, amp, one absolutely uh, and, and okay and, and he Godfather the one Godfather the two uh the
1: conversation dog day afternoon and the deer hunter all nominated for Best Picture. His career was very short, but boy, what a legacy that actor, John Casale, left in the film industry, and he was very well-respected.
0: And one, one of those uh, actors, sort of like Steve Buscemi, who when they come on the screen, yeah, there's, yeah. That, there's that instant sleaze to them, you know? It's, yeah. <laughs> very good uh, very good comparison. Dog Day Afternoon
1: is one of my all-time favorite movies, it's one of the great dialogue banter movies.
0: Of uh, all time, someone calling. was asking. Someone was asking last week on Facebook whether you can be a Hollywood actor, you know, successful and be ugly. And the first mm-hmm. one that came to mind was Steve Buscemi. And I like mean, well, listen, he's not exactly George Clooney. But, uh, you can't. You can't. You you listen. You don't have to have amazing
1: looks to be a tremendous. uh, tremendous character actor, or even actor. I mean, you you could argue, I'm not going to use the word, he's not ugly, but like Walter Matthau wasn't George Clooney, but one of the great movies, I think one of the great actors of of all time. And I loved, and I mean loved, watching him as a lead uh, in a film, Bad News Bears, taking a Pelham one one two three. Give me a Walter Matthau any day of the week over some of the current uh, actors who headline movies in uh, 2020. Two couple other ones before we get into our main topic this week, which is going to be me and Ken picking our favorite uh, characters in movies of all time. That'll be in a few minutes. So December 9th, 1965, a Charlie Brown Christmas first airs on CBS. Uh, a perennial staple every year on CBS in December. Um, I always watched it, Ken.
0: Until this year, when it's only available... On some streaming network,
1: yeah, I mean that's the way uh, of, of of the world. You know, the, the only good thing if you if you're if you're able to do it, you could buy almost anything on Amazon Prime. Just you yep. buy it and you and you just save it and you watch
0: it. And and if you are a you if you are a jazz fan and you don't mm-hmm. have the the soundtrack to it in your jazz collection, you're missing something because it's one of the. I know it's a cartoon, but the soundtrack is one of the best jazz records you're ever going to hear.
1: December tenth, nineteen seventy eight. Superman, the movie opens uh, nationwide. I actually remember seeing this film at the Kingsway Movie Theater in Brooklyn, New York. Couple friends and myself. I was I was a kid, really young, and I remember the screen opening, and it had one of the great uh, prologues of all time of a, being in a movie theater with the screen opening, and you saw the Superman comic book with narration. Also, I could argue it's a perfect film. Richard Donner paved the way for what we see now in a multi-multi-billion dollar industry of superhero movies in Hollywood. Christopher Reeve, if there's a thing, is being born to play a part and God delivered an actor to do a certain thing. It would be Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent and Superman. Uh, Gene Hackman as Les L- Luthor, Margaret Kidder as Lois Lane. Uh, great movie, Kent.
0: Yeah, and can't forget Marlon Brando. And who, and Brando, who got overpaid who, for I, 13 I, seconds? I, and I talked about this on the show with Mike. Marlon Brando, when he sat down with Richard
1: Donner about playing Jarrell, and he, he was awesome as Jarrell, and his screen presence really helped elevate this movie. But he says to Richard Donner, "How, how about we that? Uh, how about uh, Jarrell be a green bagel?" And he speaks from a green bagel. <laughs> and Donner Do- Donner said, "I don't think that's a good idea." And he said, "How about I voice him out of a suitcase?" And, and, and that didn't fly either. But, I mean, he had one of the strangest minds, one of the most eccentric uh, people in the history of uh, film. But he was a great Jarrell. He yep. was a great Jarrell. He was.
0: I can remember seeing that movie. I saw that movie on New Year's Eve 1978 yeah. with okay. my future wife, my future mm-hmm. mother-in-law, my future brother-in-law. And I okay. remember at midnight... Because back then they had showings for you know ran over midnight. Somebody from the uh, theater opened the door and yelled "Happy New Year!" and uh, you know so so I I will always remember that one.
1: That's a cool one. Uh, Two other ones: December eleventh, nineteen ninety, Magnum PI first airs on CBS, starring Tom Selleck. Uh, That's what you call a good career break because he's still going strong, Tom Selleck, Uh, and one of the really one of the great uh, TV icons of of all time now on Blue Bloods. He's yeah. great on Blue Bloods. Yeah, I was gonna great say, yeah great I, on Blue Bloods yeah,
0: Blue, Buds, Blue Bloods has been running forever. I'm, I'm I don't watch network TV but I know it's still on there.
1: You know, I have a running joke and the reason some of the CBS shows procedurals and do so well in, in Blue Bloods is because the audience is too old and cranky to get up and change your remote so they just keep it on cbs 24 hours a day but the ratings for these shows are 10 million they still this show still draws 9 10 million people a week on a, on a friday night yep so uh tom Selleck has a job i think for the rest of his uh life and last one uh december 11 1987 wall street oliver stone's wall street opens the theaters becomes a huge Hit, hit an adult character-driven movie headlined by the Oscar-winning performance of Michael Douglas as Gordon Gecko. I say to myself, Ken, would this movie fly in a movie theater in 2022? Mm, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it, it 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 might only because you know things. Then then again, I think The Big Short was really on. Uh, Uh, I like that movie. Good movie. But that was more of a hit, I think, when it went to streaming. So I don't know, but it it might only because there was some sex in it. And, uh, you know, uh, we we do like, I think we still like movies about Wall Street.
1: It's a good good subject, but uh, listen, uh, he was great in that movie. Michael Douglas, one of my all-time favorite uh, actors. So now we're going to bounce into our top 10 favorite characters in movies. Of all time. And I'm going to let you, we're going to do 10 through 6, and then we're going to do 5 through 1. I'm going to let you start the proceedings. Yeah, and I, okay, I did. So I'm sure you've done a lot of
0: research. I, I have, and I did it from the perspective of the performance in the character. So, okay. I mean, because, I mean, it's, it's easy to say who the great characters were. and you, know, because you
1: Well, I just want to preface: I didn't pick superheroes. Like, I love Bruce, like everybody knows who knows me. I love the character of Bruce Wayne, and I love Batman. Like, I see in my mind's mind, in my alter ego, I'm Bruce Wayne, okay? So I didn't pick those types. I didn't pick Bond, I didn't pick James Bond, Indiana Jones. I tried to stay away from those. So I went with more um, realistic human characters that are probably more believable in the real world than some of the fantasy-type characters. So I didn't pick pick Bruce Wayne, uh, who I normally would have if I just was throwing it out there.
0: Okay. I just wanted to say that. Yeah, so, and, I, my, and I, I had a tie for 10, so I'm doing them both at number yeah, 10.
1: Yeah, I have a tie for one, so <laughs> okay. I'm going to cheat a little because this is the same type of character. But go ahead, you start. Okay, my,
0: my first character, I might be the only movie ever where a child actor was the lead and mm. had half of their time on the screen by themselves, because usually the, the, the child actor had an adult with them, and... To have a child actor carry a movie and make it one of the most memorable movies ever, and then of course it's been uh, recently redone, I don't like Macaulay Culkin as a person, I, but Macaulay Culkin as Kevin McAllister, one of the best one. And the, I mean, I, I couldn't watch the remake only because it wasn't Macaulay Culkin, but Home Alone 1990, <coughs> Kevin McAllister, and the other one very similar it was an adult but it was a person who took a character that could have been cute and made that character fantastically endearing, and that was Robin Williams as Mrs. Doubtfire. So that's my number 10.
1: It's a good, listen, it's a, it's a good pick. You know, I've been d- debating in my mind, like, if I had a pick cause I, on my, in, in my ice cream parlor, I always put on, now I'm starting to put Christmas movies. So I like, okay, do I put on Home Alone or Home Alone 2, Lost in New York? And I, I always find myself, for some reason, siding with Home Alone, Lost in New York because I didn't like the setting, but I got to tell you, it's a good pick.
0: Yeah, I like... I, it's, I, I a
1: like good pick. it's a good pick because Macaulay Culkin, to get great performances, and that was a great performance as a child actress, there's something about... They have to have an adult sensibility. They have to be smarter than the average peer. And he had whatever he had, he had it. And uh, he made those movies great. Yeah, and
0: any of us who's ever shaved with a razor and then put on aftershave, he got that down perfectly. My, Boy,
1: that would, that, that uh, would hurt. Here, uh, go ahead. You now my, go through uh, 9876. Nine, uh,
0: yeah. number, number nine. Uh, guy, this was a character. Again, I look at it. It's a character I identify with one person, only one person in life. Sorry, Lou Diamond Phillips. You're not King Mongkut of Siam. It's Yul Brenner as King Mongkut of Siam in The King and I in 1956. Okay. Yeah, Brenner he he brought he you had this dictator, this tyrant and he brought a humanity to that role. I really enjoyed that. Number Good pick. number 8. Again, character, the, the actor did this. Somebody else could have done this role and it wouldn't have been the same thing, but one se- well, two scenes: the piano scene and eating the cob of miniature corn at the cocktail party. Tom Hanks as Josh Baskin in Big. That's a good pick. The, a lo- the fact that Elizabeth Perkins was in it, I love Elizabeth Perkins. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks was just so good; you believed that he was actually a child in an adult body.
1: Now, originally, you know, I just want to point out: originally in that film, Robert De Niro was attached, and in uh, pre-production, and then bowed out, uh, and then they went with uh, Tom Hanks. I mean, that would have been a very different movie with De Niro, but Tom Hanks, obviously, iconic in that movie.
0: Now, you're probably going to, uh, number seven, I'm going to start going back in time a little bit. Uh, yeah. Number seven, Jack Lemmon, played Joe Clay. Remember what movie uh, that was? The that, no, that was The Days of Wine and Roses, okay. where he plays the alcoholic yes, turned... Yes. Turned sober and the wife becomes alcoholic. A wonderful movie, a not not an uplifting movie, but to me the best performance that Lemon ever had was his Joe Clay in Days of Wine and Roses. Number six. <clears throat> this movie would have sucked without him, and that's a technical movie term. F. Murray Abraham as Wolfgang. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in Mozart. He made that movie. Uh, you're going, you're going, you're
1: going, boy. The, the industry was very different when these movies were playing in theaters, but that movie did very well. It was, it won the Oscar for Best Picture, if
0: I recall. Yeah, it did, and because of his performance. Yeah. I mean, he played right. an over-the-top uh, he, was, Mozart. Listen, it, what is interesting about that actor
1: is that he, he was, he got critically acclaimed roles and he also did, as his career went on, he did a lot of less, uh, a, a lot of less um, vehicles than you would have thought uh, that he was qualified to, to, do, to, to do. Uh a very interesting career, actually, for Mary uh, Abraham.
0: And those are my. Fr- that's that's my ten through six.
1: Good, good list. Here's my uh, my ten through six. Number ten, I went with Seth Brundle. Uh, played by Jeff Goldblum in David Cronenberg's 1986, in my opinion, masterpiece, *The Fly*. This is a a, a performance of, uh, of of eccentricity, of sadness, of desperation. It's great acting. It's a love story. That character opposite Gina Davis. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, *The Fly*, and I think one of the best films of the 1980s. I love Jeff Goldblum and he's had a really good career. But to me, this is the definitive performance by Jeff Goldblum of playing a scientist who gets involved in an experiment that goes completely wrong and he gets transfused with a housefly. It's a slow burn descent into something really horrible, but it works on multiple levels. So I love that character. Number nine. How about this, Ken? I went with Moses played by Charlton Heston in the 1956 classic epic, must see every Easter, The Ten Commandments. I did a big big screen revival of this film about six years ago. And I gotta tell you, it plays like a superhero origin story. And you don't have to be a religious person to love this movie. This movie, Moses is basically the first superhero in film. And uh, it just, Charlton Heston is iconic. I couldn't think of another actor who could ever play uh, Moses, and this is a great movie, still holds up, I, I love this, I love every frame of this movie, but Moses uh, is one of my all-time favorite movie characters. Number eight, Axel Foley, played by Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop, 1984. I saw this movie probably eight or nine times in a theater in 84, with big crowds. Very few actors could command a movie screen, and an audience sucked in just Taking them literally for a two-hour ride with multiple supporting characters that are a ton of fun. But Axel Foley is an iconic, great genre character. Eddie Murphy, that's my number eight. Number seven, one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, Virgil Hiltz, The Cooler King, in The Great Escape from 1963, played by Steve McQueen. A perfect, and I mean a perfect movie with a musical score by uh, Elmer Bernstein. Great direction. All the cast is fantastic. Colburn, James Garner, Donald Pleasance, Richard Attenborough, but anchored by the presence of Steve McQueen in his signature role. I could watch this movie all day long, anytime, anywhere. So that's my number seven. And my number six... Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino in The Godfather 1 and 2, one of the great slow-burn descents into darkness in the history of film. This is when Al Pacino was an actor. And his portrayal of this character was iconic. And I, you could not do it better. To me, every time I watch it, I'm, I'm completely hooked and intrigued. Michael Corleone, one of the greatest characters in the history of film. So there you have my 10 through 6.
0: Interestingly, you didn't mention him as being in uh, Godfather 3.
1: Well, I like, listen, here's the thing about Godfather 3. When he's a different character, and he's a different actor in 1990 uh in godfather three i do like godfather three i thought the first half of that movie is really good i talked about this with mike on the show i think the first half of godfather three is really good it's the second act that's not as interesting when it gets involved in the in the politics of the vatican and the and the guy it just it doesn't just, nobody cares but andy garcia is electric in godfather three but al Pacino in godfather one and two one for the books of, of movie lore, no doubt about
0: it. Now, now, what's interesting looking now as we go into our top five, uh, I realized that only one of my top five occurred after 1950. Uh, wow, so, okay. Yeah, yeah, so we're going back. Number five. Uh, it became a Broadway, well, West End musical. Um, it's the, to me, it's a much better story than A Star Is Born about a star losing stardom and what happens. I'm ready for my close-up. Mr. DeMille is one of the best lines ever uh, for for our show on, on Cool 98.5. I used the, the musical tag at the end, also with the dialogue tag, where she says, I'm still big. It's the movies that got small. It was Gloria Swanson. She was playing Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. She plays that as well as anybody could have. So I'm going with okay. I'm going with Norma Desmond for number Good five.
1: Tech. My number five, I'm going to go with with uh, Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver in James Cameron's Aliens. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, female-oriented action stars ever put in a movie vehicle uh her action oriented stuff not by design but by necessity her bond with the little girl newt in the film one of the great mother by you know they're not really mother daughter but it's one of the great mother daughter bonding uh pairings in the history of film it's a brilliant movie she's great in this movie nominated for best actress in uh 86 but uh Iconic. I love Sigourney Weaver's Ripley and Cameron's Aliens, so that is my number five, Ken.
0: You're going to be surprised by n- my number four, that it's only at number four, because okay. this was the first time anybody played a gangster with humanity. He was the forerunner to Tony Soprano. He cried when he saw the body of his son riddled with bullets. He played with his, well, he died playing with his grandson, but he was a family man first. A mobster okay. second. That was Marlon Brando and Victor Corleone in The Godfather in 1972. That's my number four.
1: It's it's a, it's a it's a great it's a great pick. And, and it's, it's easy to argue one of the best films ever made. My number four, a very special character for me, very special film for me. I didn't see this in the theater when it came out in nineteen seventy-six, but J D J J uh J J, J, J B J V Books played by John Wayne in The Shootist, his final film. One of the most poetic, thought-provoking, moving, character-driven characters I've ever seen in a film. Very special because it really summed up the career of John Wayne, who at the time was battling an illness. But here's the funny thing, Ken, about The Shootist in 76. John Wayne was not the initial uh, choice to play this role. They originally went to... um, they went to Paul Newman, turned it down. Georgie e. Scott turned it down. Clint Eastwood turned it down. Gene Hackman turned it down. Then they go to John Wayne. Thank the Lord because it was a role from the heavens. Very poetic, powerful movie. His scene with the uh, uh, with with. Um, Jimmy Jimmy Stewart, in the beginning of the film, when, when Stewart is a doctor, gives him his diagnosis that his time is short. Uh, Wayne's scenes with Lauren Bacall, I, I think are fantastic. I mean, just simply classic stuff. And also his scenes with Ron Howard. I love this character. Uh, so it's my number four.
0: All right. My, my number three uh, started off on my list as number one. And then I moved two ahead of it. Uh, 1942 played Richard Blaine, the American who can't go back to America, but we never find out why. Uh, Humphrey Bogart as Richard Blaine in Casablanca.
1: I can't argue it's an iconic uh, movie, but you're really an historian going back. Uh, I, I don't know if me and Mike have gone back this far, but that's actually uh, really cool. My number three, John McLean, played by Bruce Willis in Die Hard. I said this many times with Mike on the show sitting in movie theater 1988 friday afternoon king's plaza movie theater i walk in i loved the towering inferno so i couldn't wait to see die hard i didn't know much about bruce willis other than he was on a tv show called moonlighting but my goodness was this movie a perfect film from beginning to end and i said this before halfway through the movie is one of the first times i said when i was watching a movie for the first time in a theater I'm watching a masterpiece, and I knew this movie would live long generationally as a classic. I saw this movie probably nine or ten times in the theater. Audiences just ate this movie up, but Bruce Willis is born to play this role, and he's a great, great role and a great character, John McLean in Die Hard, who uh, is the same character actually from a novel Called tomorrow? Never, no, yeah. Uh, it, it, the 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 detective was a novel, and the movie was Frank Sinatra. So Frank Sinatra, who was in his sixties, actually was offered the option of John McLean in Die Hard, and he said, "I'm a little too old for this." So ultimately, after a slew of actors passed, Bruce Willis got the role, and he made John McClane his own. So that is my number three.
0: My number two. This guy played Jimmy Pearsall in Fear Strikes Out. I think he, I don't think he could ever play anybody sane, but I don't know that there was ever, and it's only because of sentiment that I came up with my number one, I don't know if ever, anybody ever created a better character on the screen than Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates, Psycho, 1960.
1: You know, I had a buddy, I, I told you about this before, I had a buddy who saw Psycho, an older guy, in a theater, and he said at the end of the movie, that the people in the audience actually walked out holding hands because right. it unnerved them that much. You know, you, you look back at movies like that in that generation before I was born. But um, it's just a different place and different time and a different culture. And movies worked on people differently because we weren't un- overexposed, we weren't desensitized to what we are now in this uh, existence of, of a modern Age but uh, You know as much as You know I, As I respect Psycho I stated many times In this show I do think Psycho 2 In 1982 Is is One is one of my All time favorite sequels But uh, I i like psycho 2 is an enjoyable movie even more than the original psycho but it is a good pick my number two i'm gonna go with the character of rocky balboa played by sylvester stallone one of the great pop culture iconic characters of all time i remember going as a young person seeing rocky in a theater in 76 running down the block when the movie ended three blocks away to my uh, apartment uh, that I grew up in with my with my parents. Couldn't wait to to work out, it was very motivational. But at the end of the core day, at the end of the day, the core part of Rocky is it's it's a love story. And the love story between Adrian and Rocky is great. Uh, Paula Creed was an incredible supporting character, but Rocky is a character. The connection he had with the general audience is still there today. Characters span 40-something years. Uh, kudos to Sylvester Stallone for creating the character of Rocky Balboa. My, my number two.
0: My number one character almost almost went to Shirley Temple. Drum uh, roll, please. Yes, we're, we're back to 1939 for this one. I, I'm going to submit... Really? I'm going to submit anybody... Are you
1: saying,
0: Red Butler? I, no, 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 no. Really? I'm saying that if you ask people over the age of 50... Is it Dorothy? yeah it is Dorothy, and if no, I th- it's a good one, but a I good think one. any I think that anybody in my generation or above yeah. the okay. one the one role that we could tell you who played it, and we can tell you what the song was. everybody knows somewhere over the rainbow her iconic performance singing, everybody knows the The Wizard of Oz uh mm. it, to me, maybe because I grew up with it, but the greatest performance the greatest role because it has lived you know we saw new generations. Flocked to this movie a couple of years ago when we did that revival, sure. where we got an entire weekend. It is Judy Garland as Dorothy Gale in the Wizard of Oz.
1: It's a great pick, you know, and a lot of people m- m- may may not realize. I-, I believe she was seventeen years old, yes, when she did this movie. Okay, but when you watch when you watch this movie, obviously her aura, her mental uh, maturity, it feels it feels like you're watching somebody. Uh, a lot older not a lot older but you know what i mean in their 20s yep uh and and she just holds the screen with these iconic characters extremely well and it is what they call the wizard of oz a, a timeless movie when you watch anybody who watches the wizard of oz you're not you don't really you're not thinking time period you're just thinking This movie's awesome, and uh, that was a great character. That's a good pick, Ken. My number one, I split because I I picked two different uh, characters because it's the same theme. One, for me, this is just personally for me, my, my number one would be Reverend Scott played by Gene Hackman in the Poseidon Adventure. And with to co-tie with Father Karis played by Jason Miller in The Exorcist, because two characters who f- suffer the same uh, dichotomy in their films, they have religious doubt. And I always found that very uh, intriguing. Uh, for a movie character, uh, Poseidon Adventure being my all-time favorite movie, and I love that character, who is really a composite of Jesus and Moses. And along the way in that journey in the Poseidon Adventure, Reverend Scott constantly gets doubted by all the other characters, and ultimately, the end, uh, sacrifices himself for the greater good of uh, his fellow man. And, and same, really, with with Jason Miller's Father Karras, in The Exorcist. But Jason Miller was like an everyman. Uh, he didn't have movie star looks, but what a great actor. And the rawness of The Exorcist gives that film its incredible power to this day. So Reverend Scott and Father Karras are co-tie for my number one. This was fun,
0: Ken. Yeah, since we have a few minutes here, let me let me just Ken. mention to you and get your reaction to my five, my next five that didn't make it. Okay, 15 was Clint Eastwood as Harry Callahan. Good pick. Because I mean, we had a whole... Oh,
1: hey, let me ask you a question about that pick. Yep. I don't think you could do Harry Callahan in 2022. I don't think so.
0: Uh, it's being that when I was looking at IMDB to find out what year Dirty Harry came out, it says racist uh, cop uh, yeah. uh, terrorizes and tortures uh, victims. No, you couldn't. No, you could not. Num- number 14... I don't know why people love this movie so much, but her her role in it was absolutely crazy. Audrey Hepburn as Holly Golightly in Breakfast at Tip- Tiffany's. Okay. Uh, number 13, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Truman Capote.
1: Great actor, man. He it's, was a great actor.
0: I'm surprised neither one of us had this in our top 10. Number 12, Raymond Babbitt, Dustin Hoffman, Rain Man. He's a
1: great character. Well, listen, you could do a top 100. I yep. mean, easily, get ahead with the other one. Cause my, I got
0: two. Yep. I got two outside. Okay, my quick, list. okay. Number number eleven, uh, because of the fact that back in 1999, we didn't really recognize transgender as like we do today. Hillary Swank playing Brandon Tina in Boys Don't Cry in 1999. Wow, you really go. That's a good memory. That's, that's, uh, listen. I have a lot of respect for Hillary
1: Swank. I think she's a fantastic actress at. It really gets enveloped into the characters that she uh, plays.
0: Yep. She, um, did, a, did a great. Uh, the, the, la- the lady that got lost, the airplane and, lady. And,
1: and, and two outside my list would have been Christopher Walken's Johnny Smith in the Dead Zone, my favorite Stephen King adoption, although it's nothing like the book. The movie's a lot better. I just love that performance in that cat. I love that character. I agree and a
0: thousand percent
1: and then I would have went right outside my top ten was the character of Red, played by Morgan Freeman, in the iconic Shawshank Redemption. I could watch Morgan Freeman read a phone book. Uh, He's that good. But this might be his his amazing career, but his definitive character, I think, is Red in in, in Shawshank. What a great movie.
0: Uh, It is a wonderful movie, and another one of those movies that probably gained more life and fame after it was shown over and over again on television than it was when it originally came out.
1: I I agree and I did I remember seeing shosheng in a theater, but uh that has gained a mass following. Uh because it's one of those movies that airs on T N T and and AMC and T B S all the time. Like I you could do as times as you change the channels every other hour of Shawshank was on TV and know what it did it hooked you like the Godfather. Oh if it uh,
0: if it was on, my second wife kept it on. She loved that movie. But you know, doing this list, we have yeah. to soon do a list of the best characters because we said we were only doing it by the you know, the the leading actor. There's mm-hmm. there is probably an equal list where you can come up with where it was a supporting actor whose sure. character stole the show.
1: Yep, and we'll do that uh probably in the next few weeks. So I had a blast doing this, Ken. Uh, leading up to Christmas time, next few weeks, we'll start to talk more about some of our maybe favorite uh, Christmas characters or Christmas films. To the whole audience, always a pleasure. Thank you very much hey, for but, listening.
0: But, but Chuck, and be, but yeah. one thing is, I, I thought you already mentioned one of your Christmas characters when you were talking about uh, uh, Die Hard.
1: Listen... Bruce Willis might not agree, but Die Hard is one of the great Christmas movies. Of uh, and,
0: and we have we didn't time. we didn't hit quite uh, didn't quite hit fifty five minutes. I have to mention this. I am shocked. Yeah, that you didn't have Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful yeah, Life.
1: I, I, listen, I, I could have put. I, I again, you know, really could have did a top twenty five. I, I Jimmy Stewart, 1, one ten twelve. Uh, he he easily could be there. Uh, One of the great uh, characters, uh, one of the great scripts, actually, is a wonderful life of all time. That's that's literally, that script was like a blueprint of perfect, uh, and almost like a storyboard, just filming that script, and they made uh, an absolutely perfect movie by Frank Capra.
0: I agree. Okay, I won't interrupt you again, Chuck. Okay, so Ken, thanks
1: a lot to the audience. Thanks a lot, Ken. I will see you next week. Always a pleasure. Thanks
0: for listening to Movie
1: Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. cast by Federated media.